Hey everyone, I'm Keone Madrid. And I'm Mari Madrid. And we're the choreographers for the Karate Kid, the musical. And you are listening to the Cobra Kai Companion. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. Uh, today, you guys, um, I have we have a very special interview. Um, we, we have uh, Keone and Mari Madrid, whom you guys may have seen everywhere, right? Literally quite everywhere. Uh, but they are the dance choreographers from the Credit Kid the Musical. Uh, how are you two doing today? We are good. We're good. Good. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for carving out some time to see me. Uh, just a few days ago, you guys had the very first premiere. Uh, how's that been like? Well, what's the reception been like? Obviously, we've seen all the standing ovations from the little bit, and Ving shares some as well. Uh, Drew, uh, everybody involved with the show. Yeah, you know, it, it's been really, um, it's been really nice to finally get in front of an audience. You know, we've been working on this show for a couple of years now and um we've only had small small invite only audiences to experience somewhat of the show and so to finally have paying audiences inside of a theater um appreciating the work that uh you've put together it's it's just always a, a nice experience and um yeah st louis has been great mm-hmm. yeah has it has it been um because you, you guys are out of san diego right have you guys made St. Louis like kind of kind of an, another home because you guys are spending a lot of time there? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're here for, I think it was, it's seven weeks total. So a temporary little little home away from home. Um, yeah. But that's kind of what happens with these these big shows. You got to post up where where it is for a little bit. All right. Um, well, we'll, we'll, we're probably going to jump all, all over the place a little bit. Um, I, I kind of want to start off with... Um, just right before the world shut down, the uh, you guys were working on the production of uh, Beyond Babel, right? I, I think there's still kind of like, is it Babel or Babel? Uh, Actually, no. Yeah, it, it is both. Yeah. Okay, and there's like a Romeo and Juliet story, uh, which you guys were involved with. Um, the, the, I don't want to say funny, haha, but the interesting thing was, uh, uh, Keone, I believe around the time you, it was probably a little bit after you did an interview on the Kinja's podcast. I had also just spoken with Drew Gasparini, um, uh, March of 2020, early March of 2020, and we were talking about the Credit musical. Um, can you talk about what you guys were kind of doing at that point, um, roughly around that time? Oh man, so pandemic time, we were, um, like you said, we were in production for Beyond Babel. We were performing, um, and which we uh, co-created and directed and, and performed in. Um, and we were also in production for another musical that we're directing and choreographing called uh, Once Upon a One More Time, which is uh, the Britney Spears musical. And um, we were uh, getting ready to go to Chicago. Um, and we were about a week and a half rehearsals in and that's when the pandemic hit um still remember that day like it was yesterday but um yeah that was pretty much what it was and then we were home um uh working on other projects trying to figure out like everyone else like what what the hell are we going to do during this time which we only thought was going to be maybe a month what ended up being a year plus and change Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's i think that's what we were doing around then Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was um, really difficult for us too. you know, before we started recording, we were kind of talking about, you know, my starting lineup that I have here at home, Um, you know, and for those that don't know, and newer listeners, uh, I'm a mail carrier. And my wife at the time, she was pregnant with our, uh, our third child. And the, all the homes that I visit every single day, like we we just didn't know what was going to happen. So we made the difficult decision to distance and she moved in, she took the kids and moved in with her sister. Uh, which is, you know, luckily only 10 minutes away, but I would come and visit if we started doing the window thing, you know, and 
that was really difficult thinking about it like giving me chills a little bit like we, we still have the, the videos and photos it was it was really difficult and um we were trying to kind of set an example like hey we're doing this you know so if we can get through it you guys can too and so every single day when i got off work i would come and visit and we, we started kind of walking up and down the sidewalk you know just having our our walks you know six feet apart but i didn't get to touch my kids for seven months oh, um so months yeah yeah and that's because that's when the baby was born and then you know i got tested mm -hmm. and you know once i got the results i came right over here and i've actually been here since yeah. so um so i i heard your story of like having to be in a separate room and she wanting you know daddy to pick her up and stuff so i i totally feel yeah. that so I, I totally understand yeah that was that was a difficult time because especially getting COVID that early on we didn't you, you know there were so many questions and 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 we would call those hotlines and they would just say stay home because we don't even have any space to uh have anyone in and so it was, it was just a lot of unknown and um yeah that was tough we I locked myself in our guest room for, for i don't know how long and yeah for like a, a, a few days or a yeah. week yeah but um, anyways that I, I, you we forget, it's we so easily forget too like how scary that was yeah. when that happened because yeah. now we're i mean we're in production we're testing all the time like tests are accessible like <laughs> yeah. at this point um, a lot of us have had COVID once already and have a vaccine just, we forget yeah. yeah yeah just i i can't even imagine being in the same household but you know just being so close you know so at least like you know i, I leave for the day i go back home it, it's easier not to like get too close to touch them kind of thing so we, we've been um, relatively lucky but i i kind of wanted to bring that up because you guys were pretty transparent about it as well and you guys kind of faced like some discrimination as, as well um was it back in san diego uh when when that happened with uh, your family yeah I think there, also with your mom i think was the story you shared yeah there was a little bit um oh, yeah of, stuff. yeah there's there was just a lot of fear around that time you know and, and i think i mean there's it obviously kept going but i think around that time uh when i came back you know some people in our neighborhood were you know criticizing um we're afraid, or, we're afraid. And, and being afraid and because my, my mom was helping out um and that there she was helping out other families actually who couldn't go out in the grocery shop so she was going around and dropping off food for them but some random neighborhood people were calling her out and saying oh well her son has covid she's giving covid to other people and it's just crazy and you know we like seen her we hadn't seen her that that was all rumors and based off of what you know information they're going off of um because on our post on instagram we we our intention of sharing that we got covid was to you know, in the dance community, there were still people who were gathering and and dancing together. And we're like, guys, we got to take this more seriously. So that we were trying to set an example of like, take this more seriously, please. Um, so yeah, that was. It's funny that you bring that up because I totally just forgot about that. Um, Sorry. Yeah, I know. I um, I don't want to say like we're kind of known for like the deep dives, but like yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people they have very important stories that. Um, you know, it, it's it's nice to kind of like hear the the struggles, you know, because I wanted to start off there because of what you guys were in the middle of, you know, with this, this is your guys's job, this is your livelihood, your work. And so um, what has that obstacle been like over time to kind of get to where you guys are with the Credit Kid musical? Man, I mean, they're, they're, first of all, just coming together um, has been, I mean, theater has completely had to adapt to this new normal um, with uh, people getting positive cases, whether they're asymptomatic or, you know, feeling completely fine. If they get a positive case, they have to be out for five to 10 days and then a swing will have to jump in cold turkey. And there's just a lot of, you know, uncertainty and stress around that. And that's why we're all so, so grateful for our swings, for all the swings in theater. Um, and that starting there and then just let alone um, finding the time to carve out when theaters are willing to open their spaces again for audiences, for audiences don't to feel safe and comfortable to come in. There's a lot of, you know, steps in, in live entertainment, but I think we're on our way and it feels like people are just adapting to what this new situation is. And for us as, as creatives, we've, we've really 
had to, you know, in that year, just figure out how we can continue to grow, but also adapt to this new normal. And we found our 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 space. Um, I don't know if you want to elaborate. No, I, I think I think with live entertainment, it's just been particularly particularly difficult um, to to manage that safely and in a way that everyone feels <laughs> safe. You have to have a lot of patience and forethought uh, and empathy. And, um, you know, I, I do think that the productions we've worked with have done a, a great job of trying to manage all of that. Because, um, you know, everyone feels different about it too. Some Someone might, <laughs> there's such a, a crazy spectrum on how people feel about how to handle this situation. So right. kind of trying to find, um, a way to be safe and uh, have empathy while going through that and, and keep your production going. It's, it's been really difficult, but um, you know, I'm very thankful for our, our COVID teams <laughs> and the people who have stepped into those positions so, so that our productions can run and we can work because everyone just ultimately, they just want to work. They right. want to come to work every day and do what they do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that must've been, I mean, I don't know, um, other than the Credit Game Musical, on May 25th, was that the first time you guys got to kind of be around in an audience again and watch a production that you guys were a part of? Um, we were in fall. We were in D.C. with Once Upon a One More Time. Um, well, we were able to Beyond do that. Beyond Babel. Beyond Babel was actually, yes, our first time not being in an audience, but performing in front of an audience again, which yeah. was um very, it was like a little bit emotional because you had something yeah. taken away that you didn't think would ever be taken away. Just the ability to perform and be with other people and share that. And so, and also for audiences to feel that, oh my gosh, there's people in front of me performing, you know, that feeling again. So yeah. that was a very cathartic experience. It was, there was like a new respect I felt like, or just a new like unspoken level of appreciation that you know, we had come to this space and that it was precious. That wasn't maybe there before. Yeah, Drew mentioned that um, after all of that, he can continue to work, you know, the, the music and the lyrics and stuff like that. Um, did you guys, like, when, when did you guys um, first uh, get attached to the project of the, the musical, The Credit Kid? Oh, man. Um, what year was that? I want to say maybe 2018, 2018, 2019. I, I might be quoting my, my dates wrong, but... Um, that's right. Yeah, somewhere around yeah. there. <laughs> Our memory is really bad, but it was before, um, for sure, pre-pandemic, um, and we were attached even before. Um, so this is what I remember for sure that we were attached to the project before Cobra Kai yes. blew up on Netflix. Because um, at the time we were just talking Karate Kid. We hadn't talked about Cobra Kai, any of the, you know, it was on YouTube, of course, but it wasn't as, as popular. Um, and we started our first, like, I guess, um, work on the project with movement came um, top of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, we had done a dance lab in San Diego, which basically for people who don't know what that is, it's basically a, a gathering of, of dancers to stand in for um future cast members to help the, us create the movement for the show um and stage some of the the songs um and a lot of that has changed and adapted but that was a very helpful period of time um to work with our, our dancers to put together uh, we put together quite a few numbers i think mm -hmm. it was like 10 10 of the songs already mm -hmm. we had staged and, and choreographed um, and just as a, a foundation to build upon for future iterations. Um, and that was really the first time I think we had worked heavily on the show. Mm -hmm. At that point, were you guys using like Drew's music or was it just kind of something that was similar in tempo? Yeah, we had demos from, from Drew. Um, we had the songs at that point, what the songs were and um, just uh you know, temp music and Drew singing everything and doing all the parts. Um, but we want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he has like a thousand versions of yeah. Drew being every voice. That was, uh, it was, was really so great. Fun. <laughs> oh, that was really interesting. I never thought about that. I, I really want to hear the uh, um, Dreams Come True, you know, by Freddie Fernandez, because, you know, Robert Mark came and just kept on talking about it. And Drew's like, that's not even like top 10 best song. So, <laughs> 
Yeah, I definitely want Everyone's to got their faves, Everyone you know, their everyone's favorite. got their love. Yeah. Uh, Robert really loves Dreams Come True. There's been many iterations of a lot of the songs. So songs that we may have staged or done are some are completely different and will continue to change. Yeah. People who see the show here in St. Louis, it'll definitely be different in New York. We're just going to continue to try and chisel and make it better. Which is right. really normal for this process. Okay, uh, so so now we're going to jump back a little bit because, um, you know, Drew has said it, obviously Robert has said as well, that what you guys are bringing to the show is nothing that people have seen on Broadway before. So let's go back to when you guys were younger and what's your earliest memory of of just dance? You know, not not even when you decided you wanted to dance, but like, you know, like um for for me, I remember like stories of when I was younger that apparently like Thriller was my jam. And anytime it came on, I would yeah. dance. And like, I, I don't have that memory, but I hear the stories all the time. Yeah, um, I think my earliest memories of dance are just with my family, like in our dining room. My parents, my parents love to cook. That's like the thing that they share together. And um, Dinner time was always really important to my dad when he could have it with us because he's a nurse and nurses work all kinds of crazy hours. Um, and so whenever he was home and uh, we could have dinner and him and my mom could cook together, they would do that. And that was like a very important family quality time. And then after my parents had a record player and they would play records of all sorts of different music, um, they would all all kinds all 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 kinds of music except for i think maybe country we didn't listen to much of that but um we would just enjoy music as a family in the dining room after dinner and my brother and i would just roll around on the floor and and we dance and i just have so many happy core memories from from enjoying music like that with my family so it was like dessert for you guys, you know, let's eat dinner and then let's just dance on top of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you don't hear stories like that. That's that's really amazing. It sounds like you guys had a really close fam, uh, family. Yeah, we did. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. For, for me, I mean, uh, we're, we're both mixed Filipino um, uh, and uh, my I sort of have a typical Filipino uh, part of my family where it's a like huge family parties and singing and dancing, you know, karaoke. And, um, at that time it was, um, you know, in sync and backsheet boys. And of course, Michael Jackson was still, uh, at near the top. And, and for me, I, I loved watching, you know, musicals, uh, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, that whole era. And so like that, that period of time you would, you would try when music videos would come on TV, which, you know, they don't anymore. Um, it, when they would come on, you, you would try to take that, you know, those mid seconds that were, it was on to try and learn it then and there off the TV and, and me and my cousins, we would emulate, you know, some of the choreography and, and do them at Christmas parties and stuff. And it's sort of a similar story to Mario where it started with family and eventually grew to, um, you know, later on in life as, as uh, uh, teenagers in, in high school, I think for, oh, you, you started dancing Mario like way early. 13, yeah. 13. And I started dancing when I was 15, which is really late for, um, a lot of dancers, a lot of them start really young, sometimes three. Um, and uh, yeah, I just fell in love with uh, a different style of dance, which was really, you know, pop, commercial, uh, hip hop mixed with jazz and, and different styles, especially in our dance community in, in San Diego and the competition scenes, they would mix styles. And it was just this unique thing that you wouldn't really see. And um, we're just so fortunate to have grown up in an era like that um pre-youtube um and then the rest is history when you know our stuff gets posted on youtube um but yeah yeah i i wish you know living in portland we didn't have a huge dance scene portland's always little sister to you know fill in the blank for like another city seattle you know la whatever but um we didn't have you know the communities like that we obviously we you know love karaoke here yeah, like like many people, like Asian Sync. That was, I mean, that that was like my my karaoke group. You know, like just <laughs> the guys we go and throw on like in sync yeah. and Fresh Boys, uh, ninety eight degrees. Yeah. yeah. So, 
So uh, my, my senior year uh, in, in high school, they decided that they would try to implement like a um, like a boys dance group because we had, you know, the, the women and stuff like that. So I, I, I did that and like I had fun, but it, it just it, it wasn't for me. I, I don't know if I just kind of missed like my window because senior year, right? You guys were talking about 13 and 15 is a little old for dancers. Um, and yeah, typically they start a lot younger. So, yeah, it's just uh, I around that time when you start seeing the, the the dance it's not a craze obviously but when you're seeing more exposure of it in the community and the culture and stuff like that it's um it's, it's really really cool so kind of like you know seeing you guys and Cabo modern and uh, quest crew and kinjas like i just um we like my wife and my kids we would always watch these shows because you know, like growing growing up, um, you know, Asian American and uh, watching film, you don't see a lot of really good representation. You know, uh, we think about the 80s movies that are stereotypes. And I felt like, you know, we've come a long way. We still have a lot of ways to go. But, you know, kind of watching like ABDC and stuff, it's like, look at all these beautiful people that look like us. You know, yeah. so that's why we really enjoy dance. Um, so what what has that kind of been like, you know, like for being called like pioneers and trailblazers in, in dance, kind of just being some of the early faces that we would come to uh, recognize. That's a weird thing to like even think. <laughs> I yeah. think because we have our own pioneers and people who we think uh, yeah. uh, started the style. And I think we uh, are, we're the people who became visible because of YouTube. So we're some of the first people that got a little more access um, and, and had an opportunity and a platform to share our work, not just be a backup dancer for somebody else, but truly just like make our work and share it as it is. And so, uh, yeah, that's a weird thing to think. <laughs> I think we're one step in a long line and a long lineage. Um, and we're very grateful to have that and to be included in that. I think I agree with you 100% with Asian American representation. Just there's so much more <laughs> to, to our culture and to our experiences, which is also are all so diverse and different. And um, there's a lot of room to still share that. But, um, you know, I mean, you get people who are ignorant who are like, Asian people can dance. Yes. <laughs> yes they can <laughs> they can sing and they can dance and they're entertaining they're, it's just because people aren't used to seeing um, faces like this in, in that space um, but yeah yeah um, no we're, we're just we're just grateful that um, we're, we, we were born around the time uh, where we got to be some of the first internet dancers and to help um, uh, pave a road for people like us who you know, like Mari said at that time, as as trying to make dancing as a career, you couldn't do it unless you were dancing behind an artist or in a commercial or something like that. And it was very hard for uh, I, I remember having an agent and everything. And um, and I quickly learned going to auditions that unless I was like six foot three and had an eight pack that I wasn't going to really get booked. Um, and there was only like one spot for me. And and I remember, I literally remember people telling me that I was lucky that I didn't look completely Asian. And I thought that was crazy, like that, that I looked mixed and that, that, that it was interesting and that it would give me more opportunities. And I just, that time you're just like, okay, yeah, like that, that's cool. But looking back, I'm like, oh my God, that was just it's wrong. so wrong. And I'm, I'm just so happy that there's more opportunities for people that, that um, not only just look like us, but people who are just purely talented and their talent's going to sh shine through and it doesn't matter what they look like. Um, and uh, our goal now is just to continue um, expanding that and, and creating a world where our daughter can, can see people that look like her uh, in entertainment and feel like that she can do anything that she wants to. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I know, isn't it weird to hear things like that? Like I've shared this story previously, actually, I, may have even shared it with Alan and Jetta, but I was, you know, in, I spent 10 years in, in the army and I, I had uh, a heated exchange with one guy one time. Cause I, I had mentioned to somebody else that, Oh, I'm Asian American. And this guy just happens to hear, you know, cause he was, you're shot away. He's like, Oh no, you're, you're American. 
you know, because you're you're born in America, so you're just you're just American. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, actually, I'm pretty sure I have a culture and all these other things too, <laughs> you know, that identify myself as Asian American. So like, yeah, it, and it was somebody who I thought that like, you know, not like a good buddy, but like, you know, we served together. It's like, how are you, how dare you, you know, try to tell me what what I am, you know? So it, it's it's funny how people think that they can say things like that and that that it would be okay. Like, oh, you have an interesting look, but you know, try growing a few more inches and. You know, work on those abs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there's only one spot, so like the hundred Asians that are auditioning, like you only get one chance. Um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. We already we already filled the role. Uh, Mike from Kinjas, you know, already got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's literally what it, that at that time. That's literally the like oh, someone so that's Asian got it. So there's no way I'm gonna audition for that. Like that was crazy. That was the mindset back then. I can't even imagine because again, I'm not part of you guys world like i i just love watching it for you guys to know and and be connected with so many different people because i remember seeing mike for the very first time with um Cabo modern and to see him yeah. return um uh with with the kinjas and you know like I, I i would watch and i'd be very familiar with names but as you guys know having kids sometimes you get out of the loop of some things mm -hmm. and so like when i started following the the musical i um you know, I, Drew was the first person I, I've spoken with, but nobody was cast yet. And so was it back in February, I think, when the announcement came out? And then so I started kind of looking into these folks that were playing these iconic roles. And then I don't remember when it was, but I, at some point they finally showed like the other people involved. And I was like, Marion Keone and Ving and Ginjas? I, I, I lost my shit. And I, I think it was something that Jetta shared. Oh, sorry. I forgot that your daughter should say it. But uh, I, yeah, I think it was something Jetta shared. I was just like, Ginjas in all caps and exclamation point. And she's like, right? You know, and I was like, oh my God. And, and so it had me really excited because uh, again, like I'm, you know, at the very least familiar if I haven't seen everything. But I, I go into rabbit holes all the time watching, you know, uh, pieces from from all of you guys, you know. So like um, one of the pieces with, with being that I believe he helped choreograph that that I always go back and, and watch because, number one, that's the first time I heard the song. And I think it's so beautiful. But the, the piece itself was uh, I See Fire with uh, Ed Sheeran when, when they did on, um, I believe it was ABDC, right? One of the, the, yeah. the later seasons. And then they did the one where uh it was like on location somewhere else too so like anytime i like tell people about the kids especially recently i was like you know you guys gotta watch this like it, it just kind of makes sense mm -hmm. so um so how did you guys were you guys approach i i feel like i asked like a version of that mm -hmm. um or maybe not no, but... no no um well it started with um kamiko the the producer yeah. um had seen our work um, in the first musical we had ever worked on, which was in Amsterdam back in like 2015, 2016. 2016. And she knew the producer of that show. She came out to Amsterdam to come see it. And she had seen our choreography. And, you know, I guess a few years later, she um, had remembered us and uh, thought we were good for the job. And uh, she might've done her research and seen us do other stuff. And we had already been working on the Britney Spears musical. So our names started kind of, um, um, swirling in the Broadway circles because from what we hear, it's um, once you're in that that your name gets sort of tossed around a lot, um, and it was just exciting for us as an opportunity too because uh, you know Broadway Broadway dance is seen as a certain way because Foss, Bob Fosse and Jerome Robbins really pioneered something you know decades ago that is still so strong today that um, we are excited that that Broadway wanted something different and, um, and for Kamiko to reach out to us and um, for us to talk with Roberts and Amon and Drew, um, it, it really felt exciting. Cause I think when we first heard about Karate Kid, the musical were like, uh, uh I don't know. Like, really? like why? Everyone else. <laughs> it's, it's what everyone thinks. And so to, to meet with the creative team and to understand what is trying to be accomplished, it was like, Oh, this sounds much cooler than, than, <laughs> this it sounds um and Whatever also you imagine yeah <laughs> it would be and also our style it was a, it was a perfect mix of storytelling and movement and a really good opportunity to showcase movement in a new way that um at least from our experience haven't seen in a broadway musical uh, um what were some like kind of 
early inspirations. You guys uh, obviously mentioned that there was people before you, and uh, you guys were kind of like the earlier ones that were um, had exposure of YouTube. What were some of those names that you just, um, you know, when like VHS tapes were circulating, you know, with like certain dancers and stuff and, and B-boys and, and all that stuff? Um, one big name for me, I mean, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, um, not the center <laughs> of pop culture. <laughs> um, so any little thing that we would get our hands on was was like gold. And one, um, there were we would have this uh, summer camp where our teachers would bring in outside teachers to come be with us for a couple of weeks. And um, one of the people who really strongly influenced me was Gary Kendall. Um, Gary Kendall was uh, part of, I mean, he's he was like, father. he's the father of the Jabberwockies. He's not with us anymore, but um, he, uh, he was on Jedi Mind Tricks with that was before Jabberwockies. He's from Bay. Um, and uh, he he just used musicality before, like everything was just in like whole counts or ant counts. Like that was the extent of musicality, <laughs> at least that I experienced. And he was the first person that I saw that really like dug into music and brought out all the different layers, made things more complicated. And uh, when he moved, it looked like music was was made physical in front of you. Um, so he was a really big influence to me and he would travel around. Um, and I'm so thankful that he said yes to our little tiny studio in Boulder. <laughs> um, Cause I don't awesome. know if I would have, I wouldn't be the dancer I am today without, without that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I'm just picking that back off of Mari that there are a lot of, you know, pre YouTube names that no one will know, but someone like Gary, of course, um, who inspired the entire dance community around that time. Um, another name was KJ Gonzalez, who was a mentor to myself and to Ving at, at a young age, um, and who was uh, sort of that someone that was great um, in pioneering speed in choreography, he was super fast and lyrical and um, and dynamic and would combine hip hop movements with jazz and contemporary and someone who was also another, um, uh, I guess, pioneer in founding that who's still heavily working today is Tisandra Chavez. Mm -hmm. um, and she's a San Diego native as well. Um, and yeah, there, I mean, there's so many names that we're leaving off the board, all of our community, you know, uh, peers, um, you know, that also were some of the first YouTube dancers that uh, got seen alongside us, you know, some people like Lyle Beniga and Sean Evaristo and, um, you know, obviously guys that were now on the Kinjas and, and just, there's so many names left unsaid. And obviously from a pop culture standpoint, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, MJ is always going to inspire people. Um, and the Gene Fred era and, um, you know, music videos, all that stuff. Yeah. It's a cacophony of items. That there's we, a lot of, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things. There was a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, we stretch link elite force crew. Um, those guys were going around spreading information and teaching kids about hip hop roots. And that was also really important um, yeah. and influential to us as, as like our core and our base. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I I always heard about like these b-boy crews growing up. I, I have a cousin that came out of um, oh gosh, I'm kind of I have a few cousins that came out of Cali. Well, I mean, all obviously ones from the six one nine as well. You know, San Diego. So, um, Stockton. There you go. So mm -hmm. he was one of those guys that would um, when he would come visit, bring like these tapes, and we would just watch them. And uh, I don't remember any of the names because it was so long ago. But um, that's kind of where it started for me, just kind of just watching and just sitting there being a spectator of 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 of, of dance and seeing people like me who I, I see here growing up, but they don't do that. You know, a lot of them were kind of banging back in the days. You know, that that was kind of all you did, either that or you stayed home. You know, and I stayed home most of the time. Um, you know, probably watching people dance or or you know my 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 cartoons. Yeah. Um, so you guys uh, also have been involved in some things. Um, I, and I don't know if this was kind of during the pandemic, but your guys' film Lolo and also um, us, us again, I, I believe it was uh, Disney. 
yeah, that, that's available on Disney Plus. Can you talk about those two projects? Yeah, um, well, us again, uh, we had worked on pre-pandemic and um, like months, like a couple months before. And um, that was just a, a dream project. I mean, for Disney to include us in a project that was not only utilizing dance, but was, you know, putting dance at the center piece of the storytelling and to include Mari and I as sort of story partners from the beginning was, was just, yeah, I can't emphasize how much of a dream that was. Um, it was the best. It yeah. Was the best. From top to bottom. It was, <laughs> in all the ways. Um, and uh, Lolo, we was truly just coming out of the period of time when, um, you know, there was a lot of the, um asian hate stuff going on um still it, is. Very, it still is it still is yeah yeah, yeah but, but it was, we were sur- it was surfacing a little more yeah and our um you know i've always heard stories from my grandfather and all of our grandparents and relatives um but it really made it more important to sit them down while they're here with us and um, extract stories and information that we can share with our daughter because if our daughter one day grows up and say, Hey, how did we get here? What, what's our story? You know, we feel just flat out embarrassed if we didn't know. And, you know, as Filipinos, you know, a lot of that they bottle in and they don't want to share because they don't want to, you know, make their kids feel like victims and stuff like that. They want, you know, that's, they just want them to adapt and to acclimate. And with that comes, you know, some, some tough conversations of, of not feeling proud of your culture and also, um, you know, having questions about, um, your your culture. And and so anyways, long story short, we had sat down with our, our grandfather and he finally just let it all out and told us all these stories and gave confirmation to stories that he, um sort of kept from us um and so we decided to put it into a film format um more than anything just for us to have it was intentionally in the beginning just to keep for the family and to just put out there on youtube and for people to take it as they as they were uh will and uh after we made it we just said well let's just throw it out there in film festivals because at that time it was much easier to enter because all the film festivals were just online. So we're like, oh, why not? Um, and it was crazy. The fact that it won all these awards and it got into film festivals, which just blew my mind, but also was one of the most like invigorating experiences as a Filipino. And we, since then we've been so much closer to our, our heritage. Um, not that we weren't before, but I, there's just so much that you feel that much more pride over and, uh, trying to carry that torch now um, moving forward and to try and bring more exposure to Filipino culture and mostly just stories that are left unheard. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was, that, I don't know if you want to elaborate on this. Yeah, no, it just opened up the desire and just the, the need to have those conversations. And um, yeah, I made a trip out to Oregon to go visit my grandmas in Roseburg. <laughs> okay. And my uncle and um and my my grandpa was actually 18 years older than her and he passed away um when I was three. So I didn't get to grow apparently he loved to dance. I never got to have him um around and I've always wanted to know I have such so little information about him and a few pictures. And I was like and I've heard you know, just like Yoni said, you hear bits and pieces, like the bits and pieces that they'll share with you over and over again, or the ghost stories, or the, you learn the bad words from them. <laughs> but like, you know, sitting down with them and really kind of walking through like what their journey was, it just connects you. You feel a connection because I think the hard thing about, uh, you know, immigrating and they, they assimilate and they, they do what they have to do to survive, but then it's a little bit, it gets lost, lost yeah. you know, neither of us speak <laughs> and our parents don't speak either and things get lost and you, you get older and you realize like, oh man, I, I wish I had that connection or I wish I, I you want to glean as much as, as you can um, 
while they're with you. And um, it just, I don't know, it just cements something and it feels connective um, to your heritage. And so, and there is just, and you said it before, there's still so much to tell and there's so much uh, to say in that space. And it's obviously so needed because there's still so much Asian hate going on in this country. And because our people um, haven't been humanized enough. And the more you humanize the culture, uh, and this not just Asian American, but the more we humanize people of each color other. and each other, um, it's gonna help. I, I like to think that it can help people on a subconscious level stop assuming things and being fearful of people who aren't like them. Yeah, I, yeah, we're definitely more than just our food, you know. Yes. Um, and and, <laughs> yes, it is. It's very good. It's it's seasoned. There you go, a little shade there. Um, <laughs> but 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 also, you know, f- for those, you know, I, I feel like if you have um, non Asian friends that also like you know kind of make these jokes, you know, we should kind of like voice ourselves too. Be like, hey, you know, that's actually not funny, you know. Um, and, and I think we can maybe not start there, but like that's, that's talks that we should have too. Cause I think we know too many people that are just too comfortable with you that they think that they can say things and, and, you know, it'd be right. Well, you're, you're okay. Right. Cause you're like, you're my Asian friend. I can say this. Like, no, that's, that's mm-hmm. no, it's not right. So mm-hmm. I think some people, you know, may also feel like they can't speak up, you know? And um, I, I think, yeah, you know, that it, it kind of starts there, but also, you know, if you are truly a friend, you know, you would be an ally. You know, we're not asking you for like people to like fight or fight or, or or speak our voices, but like be an ally too. You know, um, just if you see somebody else saying or hearing people say things, you know, you can say like, hey, that's not cool, you know, or hey, that's that's racist, dude. Like, you know, even if it's casual racism. So mm-hmm. that's what I've kind of been doing. Um, just like uh, some like some of the guys I work with, so, you know, just a, a few jokes here and there. I'm like, you know, guys, that's not funny. You know, yeah. just kind of starting there, and and hopefully at some point they, they'll get it. You know, um, but if we just kind of like laugh it off and not say anything, people are going to continue doing what they're doing. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for sharing all your experiences. Um, I, I'm trying to decide where where I, w- I want to go next, but um, because you guys have done so many things, uh, I mean, l- let's talk about this. Like, uh, you guys were also on Ellen. You know, not a lot of people can say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ellen was our actually our first uh, television uh, gig, um, and you know, it's funny that's actually a good connector because up until Ellen, my family totally didn't think that was not into what I was doing, like dancing. They were, I was, I played basketball prior to that. And they thought I was going to, you know, utilize my skills to get to a college, to get an education, to be, you know, a nurse or a doctor, whatever, you know, typical Asian uh, job is preferred by an older generation. Um, And, uh, uh, Ellen was really the thing that made them realize, oh, he's, oh, he's doing something with his dancing. Um, <laughs> and that, uh, th- th- that was that first exposure. And then since then, uh, and also for us too, because up until then it was just on YouTube and it was like, oh, now we're actually kind of doing something. To, um, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird it's that you need that validation. Real. It's not real. Um, <laughs> but it, it was, it was empowering. It was empowering for us to be also as Asian Americans to be like, just given a spot to, to perform and do our thing um, because of a YouTube video. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I I, I kind of understand that. And I'm no way putting myself like, oh, I'm kind of like you guys. But uh, I had this amazing opportunity just a, a little over a month ago to go work Paley Fest over in L.A. You know, we got the media credentials and I got to work the red carpets, talk to oh. William Zapka, Ralph Maggio. And my parents, who only like screenshot and steal pictures from my account of, of their grandkids and posted it as their own, they actually <laughs> reshared my photos with like the karate kid, you know, and, and just um, my dad at one point, um, I think he shared the photo and said something like, you know, uh, good job, son, keep up the good worker. I'm just like, who are you? Like, does somebody uh, hack it to you? Yeah, like, what do you, yeah. what do you do? I haven't heard this stuff before. And also you're sharing, <laughs> they're not stealing my picture. We'll um, never but... say it to your face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, for real. 
So yeah, so I I get that, and like yeah, all, all these other family members are like, hey, look, look at you doing. I've been I've been podcasting for eight years. Thanks for noticing now, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it's it, it's up there, right? Just to kind of like hit a certain point, like okay, now you think I'm actually good? I mean, so yeah. it, it, it's funny how family are sometimes. Did did they say, did they ask about like the twelve days of Christmas from from Ellen? They they want to go with you guys? Oh god, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> they were totally asking. Like I, we weren't during the twelve days of Christmas. I think we're right before but i do remember them you know sort of fighting over who's going to get that one guest spot and it was my mom was the one because one she was a big ellen fan and two you know she was one of the main ones who who um kept me going and dancing like in, and and supported me so yeah awesome i was, I was going to ask about the support too uh for a second just because you know, like you said, Keone, the all the the cliches of the different jobs that they want us to be. Um, for me, like my, my dad wasn't like, I, I think I was pretty lucky that he didn't pressure me, but he would also talk about like, hey, you know, I think because I was, you know, not a bad kid per se, but you know, I hung around with guys that probably I shouldn't have had kind of thing. And he would like once in a while be like, well, you know, if you don't want to do any of those, like the military is always good too, you know, it'll straighten you up kind of thing. But he never pressured me and and I think when I had a kid at such a young age, and at that point, um, my dad and I, we we had kind of broken apart because of the things I was doing and having a kid at such a young age. And I think like to repair that, I was like, you know, if I enlist, maybe maybe he'd come around again because I, I can use my dad to help me out to to learn how to be a father kind of thing. And it worked. You know, he sent me a letter while I was away and told me how much uh, honor I brought to our family name and how proud of me. And again, kind of like the sharing my post. I was like, who is this? Who wrote this letter? You know, yeah. I'm, sitting there, I'm sitting there crying. And, and the guys are like, you got, you, did you get a Dear John letter? I go, no, my dad, he's proud of me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so so yeah. yeah, it's it's a whole thing. But uh, uh, Mari, what was the support like for you? You mentioned like your, your family always dancing like after meals and so your dinner. Yeah. But um, I'd imagine it sounded like they were probably pretty supportive. Yeah, my parents were very supportive. Um, yeah, they've always been very supportive and very open. Um, my my mom, uh, she studied printmaking in college, and um, she she just loves art. <laughs> she always take me to art museums, and my parents love to listen to music. They would oh, we'd always watch movies growing up all the time together. There was a lot of um, appreciation of creativity. And so I think I'm very fortunate to have parents that uh, that it really encouraged that. And both me and my, my brother. And my brother is also a choreographer um, and a dancer. And so we, we had that kind of environment. Um, and even when things were, you know, when we got a little bit older and, you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck, gig to gig, and it's a little dicey. Um, they were still like, keep going. You know, if you want to do something else, we support you. Whatever you want to do, we support you. So, yeah, I'm very lucky to have that. Yeah, and absolutely. To, to have that support, you know, um, because also like, you know, and not to say that this may happen to you guys, but for those that, you know, pursue certain dreams like that, uh, especially against family wishes, I can't, I can't imagine what it'd be like to, um, maybe, you know, like everyone has a breaking point, but to imagine somebody like going to pursue their dreams and possibly coming back home to like people who didn't support you, you know, I can't even imagine what that might be like. So having that support, uh, it's got to me, uh, amazing for sure. Um, the dance competitions that you guys have been involved with so, so many of them, uh, what was, I, I would use the word loosely, lightly, but what, what was your favorite? Maybe just because of the experience. I don't know if the judges have anything to do with that kind of thing, too. I mean, because I don't know if like if JLo was like in the same room as me, I might feel some type of way. <laughs> Neo, also very talented. You know? Yeah, no, I. Um, it's hard, hard to say a favorite. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I think. Yeah. Um, those dance television shows and the competition shows are always so interesting because, you know, there's a double-edged sword where it, it gets to expose dance in a great way. Um, but it's also still a, a, a television show at the end of the day. So, you know, they're looking for, you know, the, the drama of things and stuff like that. But 
I think, you know, uh, just so grateful that um, those shows were able to bring exposure. In fact, a lot of the competitions that we feel most proud to be a part of were the ones that in our in our community, um, like Vibe and, and, and at the time it was Body Rock and and you know competitions like that because that's what that's what really set the the tone and inspired those television shows like abdc and world of dance um there were these competitions that were brewing you know dancers who were just genuinely passionate passionate about the art of dance and 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 competing and um yeah that whole scene really started in the 90s yeah in in like in california a lot of it in socal um so that's when it's so funny because you said competition. That's exact like that's where my mind went, not to the TV shows, because so much of our 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 worlds when we were competing were in in those circuits. Um, but yeah, but exactly what Keone said. Um, t- the TV is just like the the version that gets presented of the real <laughs> kind of culture that's happening. Um, they have their own narrative on yeah. those. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, as we get ready to wrap up, we'll, we'll definitely focus more on on the musical. Uh, how, how many musical numbers are there? Like twenty, or maybe Drew wrote like twenty songs. I, I don't. Oh, uh, I, I mean, Drew. If Drew said twenty, then it's probably right. Um, I don't even know off the top of my head. I haven't even counted. I think it's around twenty, though. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, I would imagine these songs are, you know, obviously sang by the characters. So, what is your guys' process? I would imagine maybe uh, you know you have to kind of know the lyrics first, or what is the foundation for um, uh, for creating the, the the sequences for each song? Um, well, first it's it's the story. Um, you know, obviously this iconic IP and asking ourselves what we want to do with the story and how we want to adapt it for the stage and do it in a unique and fresh way. And so um, starting there and really um, uh, for us, it was figuring out what, what's the movement language of the show going to be? You know, obviously karate being a su- super important element in the show. And um, we all agreed that through prior experiences of seeing you know maybe other musicals that utilize fighting um i think we all agree that we wanted to lean more into a contemporary language that would be a hybrid um but not super heavily literal to um karate and um so naturally our movement is sharp is angular and shares a lot of the same qualities that karate has um i also um, dabbled in karate as a kid and um, was I've been training in Muay Thai actually for the last few years um, and so I, I have my my knowledge and inspirations with martial arts and and Ving also having some Taekwondo um, experience as a kid um, and uh, with that sort of our, our movement language um, applying that think of it think of it as like a language uh, and then there's dialects within that. And we sort of divvied up the dialects to different character groups. So you have the Cobra Kai language or dialect, which is very sharp and angular and, and is um, a lot of fire, a lot of passion and straight lines. Um, uh, always driving, it's always forward moving. It's attack, attack, attack. And then you have the Miyagi-Do language, which is circular. It's all about defense. Um, it's, it's flow. It's water. It's in tune with nature. And, and then you have the, the kids, the teenagers, right? Um, and how do they move? And so that, that, that's sort of starting there, these dialects that we divvied up between these characters so that when we approach you know, a Cobra Kai number or we approach a Mr. Miyagi number, that we are striving from those those language points, and then what is the character? What are the characters trying to say with that dialect? And so that's that that uh, that was our foundation for working. And then of course, Drew's lyrics are a conduit for that, um, and 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 composition, uh, uh, orchestration, you know, musicality, all that stuff. Um, but that was our our beginning process for for the, the piece. Yeah. 
Did you, did you guys um, either have like a history with the Credit Kid movies, movie growing up? Um, and obviously you, you guys mentioned uh, Cobra Kai. Um, it wasn't as big at the, at the point when you guys came onto this project. Yeah, I mean, we grew up with the Karate Kid in our houses. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Like, and the um, like one Asian American character. Mr. Miyagi you know, is like, like who is fleshed a fleshed out human being. <laughs> yeah, that right. in the eighties. Um, so you know, it was being quoted in our houses all the time. Mr. Miyagi oh, sure. always quoted in our houses. Um, and uh, yeah, and then of course. We we had heard about Cobra Kai, but it wasn't until it got it got into Netflix. Sorry, um, sorry, toddler. Oh, yeah, no toddler melting down. It's okay. Um, when Cobra Kai, we, whenever we were sitting at home, yeah, and, and, you know, it we, got introduced. We that and we were like, oh my god. <laughs> So we're yeah, big Cobra Kai fans. Reignited that fandom that we already had. Yeah, and um, yeah, so it's it's nice because it it kind of has spanned over generations um and people are experiencing it the, the story and all in these characters throughout and that's that's one of my favorite parts about already like seeing audiences you have older audiences who are of the karate kid generation and then you have young kids who are like cobra kai all the way you know it's it's super cool to see it is well, tell me about uh, you guys uh, kind of sitting there on the very first preview evening, kind of watching it all the way through. What was that feeling like? Oh, man, um, it was definitely nerve wracking. You, you feel so nervous for for everyone because actually that first preview was the first time that we've ever run the show from beginning to end. Um, so that was already nerve wracking for all of us. But I think it more than anything, it was affirming um, to see this thing that we've we've all put so much uh, heart into, and to see it work. And and obviously, there's things that we're we're gonna make even better and, and chisel out. But to see that it has so much potential, um, and the potential that we all believed in, just starting from the pages, and now seeing it on the stage was great. You know all the, the, the choreography and even the fight choreography working, you know, we, you know, for us to create a, a fight choreography language that works for the stage was exciting to see, um, you know, Sakura Kokomai, who um, is our karate consultant for this, you know, we, we um, happened to be training with the same coach in San Diego. And so that's how we, we were already friends before the project. And so when the conversations came about, um, you know, finding authenticity in this, we were like, oh, she's a no-brainer, like, let's bring her on. And so she's been there just to help correct form, like basic things like punching and, and blocking. And it's obviously our actors aren't going to be karate masters by the end of this. No way. Yeah, um, it takes a lifetime. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Miyagi there, you know, you, you can right. learn to be a black belt in six weeks, you know. So. <laughs> right, yeah. right. You're right, true, true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just to see that it was still that, you know, it, it felt great to know that it was all working together and that this iconic IP continues to reinvent itself. Yeah, it's just still a good, it's such a good story. It's just... Uh, it <laughs> Shout out to Sakura, uh, Sakura too. She just won gold uh, at, at a competition yeah. recently. Yeah. So for the, for those that are tuning in and, and didn't know, we we uh, I spoke with her as well. So go go check that out. Because I, I I was thinking about that earlier. And completely forgot to ask about you guys reaching out to her because yeah, she mentioned that um it was your guys's connection that kind of br brought her on for the little bit there um to teach people kata and and Drew shared like oh yeah, I even learned it too. So yeah. uh. Yeah, so, so so what was that like to kind of bring her on uh, for for a little bit? I mean, um, she's just she's just amazing. She's uh, you. I mean, having her come in and share her knowledge is is so special and so important. Just physically knowing like where you're driving thing from, what your intentions are. I mean, just the basics of like the world, the roots of it, and also how it how competitive karate is now and um but really this the special special thing is watching her she came in and she did a kata at the end of her session with the with the cast and, and we've seen her do it before but it's just a certain energy 
uh, changes. And it, it was like the whole room was completely silent and you could just feel this unexplainable presence kind of enter the room. And um, that was really important for everybody to see and to feel yeah. because that's, um, it's just an unexplainable energy. Um, that comes with somebody who studied this art form for so long. Um, and that them for the cast as actors are, they're trying to understand and they're trying to channel that and representing that. So I think that was a really special, special moment, a special thing. Yeah, there've been so many times where we'd been, you know, teaching them, um, you know, a sequence of fight choreography and we've been trying to get a certain fire and a certain focus in, in them. and. Um, it really just took Sakura coming in and showing them, you know, and, and so that they can understand the, the thing that we're trying to go for. And so it's really cool to have someone who's not just like um, a, a karate teacher, but that she's currently competing and she's currently one of the best in the world. You know, I think that's that's cool to have a contemporary take on 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 uh, karate and also her being from uh, having Okinawan roots and understanding the roots of Mr. Miyagi and her having ties to, to, to the movie. It was just, I mean, we're so fortunate that we had that existing relationship um, and, you know, that we've exchanged too. like she, she wanted to learn about dance. And, and so we found a, we found a super cool way to utilize karate and, and dance and movement to tell the story. And it's, I can't wait for people to see it. Yeah. I, you know, if it was a lot closer, I I, I can't wait for uh, uh, if and when he goes on tour and if something closer like in Seattle or here in Portland, you know, I would would love to see it. Uh, does plane plane tickets are a little spendy right now, but my, co <laughs> my co-host Brianna, she was supposed to be there on the 25th, but I think because um, she, she lives like an hour away and she said that the weather was too bad for her to drive and a few other things, but she does also have a, a ticket for the first. So she oh, will be there yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and the one last thing is for those that haven't seen it and is maybe on the fence, what, what is like your statement or, you know, try to sell them on coming to watch this show. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I would say that I think this version of the show of the story, um, stems from, a new lens, that being mostly from Mr. Miyagi's lens. And Robert and Amon found super cool way to tell the story through that lens and still in a way that is all familiar to us, but it brings a fresh take on it. And, um, and if they're super into music and movement, um, it's also contemporary music and contemporary movement. And if you just love Cobra Kai and everything that has to do with all of that stuff, there's no reason for you not to come. Um, and I think you will be satisfied. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe I'll sell a couple of the kids. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, and it's, I get it. Cause like musicals, you know, they come with a certain, you know, uh, no, not, not everyone likes music yeah. either. That's no. fair. It's not for everybody. Yeah, it, uh, not not gonna lie. I'm a I'm a little surprised. Some of the content creators in 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 the community they they've done like IG lives and stuff. And I remember one specifically. He's like, I'm not into musicals, so so I don't care. I'm like, wow, but you know, like the credit that's the root of like the Cobra Kai, and that's what we're all kind of covering right now. Right. So that that was kind of like I was taking it back. I was like, well, you know. Younger didn't really grow up, you know, with the movie. Maybe appreciated it because of the show Cobra Kai. But mm. I was like, when I heard that, I was just like, wow, it's so, so that connection, that tie to this the world, that didn't even interest them, even if it's a musical. Yeah. I have a co-host on a on a movie podcast where he's never liked a musical, and I think it was Rocket Man that kind of made that changed him. You know, he's just like, yeah. No, maybe I'll start watching a few more now because I really enjoyed that one. You know, yeah. he's just like went in just dreading, you know, watching a musical. So, you yeah. know, I, and if I could say one more thing too, and something please. that we kind of realized watching watching the show is that you know, in Cobra Kai, you have all these characters, these iconic characters coming back and reinventing themselves and expanding their stories, but the one character that we can't do that with is Mr. Miyagi. And I think 
you quickly forget. And when watching the show, we realize you quickly forget who the king of this whole thing is. And it's Mr. Miyagi. And I think to see him come back again, you know, unfortunately, Pat Morita no longer with us. But to see Mr. Miyagi in this way is very special, very emotional and very inspiring. And so I just can't wait for for people to remember <laughs> who, yes. who, who the, the, the main source of this whole thing is. And that's Mr. Miyagi. I, yeah. and, and, you know, we're. Uh, recording this uh, Memorial uh, Day weekend. And, you know, the 442nd is, is a real unit that uh, our fictional uh, Mr. Miyagi did serve with. And I, I made a Miyagi video last year for Veterans Day where I kind of did a deep dive on what his service or his time in service might have been like uh, for uh, based off all the awards and medals that he we had seen in the way. So, like, yeah, that character means a lot to me, too. Um just growing up with grandfathers that lived out of state, that, that was my grandfather. You know, Mr. Miyagi was always watching the credit keep growing up. That part two was my favorite because it was mostly Asians, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chosen as my favorite bad guy. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, thank you guys so much for, uh, um, you know, again, carving out the time in your guys' busy schedule amongst all the previews going on and, and in just a few days here, yeah, a c- couple days, you know, for the actual opening night with some special guests right yeah yeah is that gonna be your guys first time meeting them yeah it will be there you go so um well where can people uh follow you guys uh, if they want to watch you know more obviously youtube for for more videos but uh anywhere else you know to follow you guys projects because you guys have so many endeavors and uh, you know if they just want to follow your journey um uh, you can follow us We're, we're not really heavy social media users, but mostly on Instagram. Um, I'm at Keone Madrid and Mari at underscore Mari Madrid. Either underscore Mari Madrid or Mari Madrid underscore. No, I, I don't I, remember. I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's underscore Mari Madrid. This is how, see, this is how bad we are at social media. That tells you everything. <laughs> um, but uh, but if, if they're busy, though. Yeah. And, and having a kid, it changes everything. As you know, you have five of them. Yes. Um, <laughs> Mostly uh, our website continues to update on specifically the work that we're continuing to work at and uh, Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. For me, you guys can find me on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod or on Instagram at Cobra Kai Companion. Companion spelled with a K. Thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next time. Haven't you done enough, princess?